Well, good morning once again. As I previously stated, and I will state again, we are so incredibly glad that you're here. We're honored to have you in our congregation this morning, and thank you for coming to support those being baptized. If you're watching online, good morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, we are in week three of our series, The Son of None. We're going through the book of Joshua, kind of looking at Joshua's story uh, and, and the different things that we can learn from, from his story and from the Israelites and Joshua. And so, uh, so far, it's been really good, I think. Uh, I know that I've been learning a lot. Uh, hopefully, you've been learning some stuff, too, or at least been made to think about certain things. You know, I accepted the call to ministry at 18. Uh, it's pretty young. I know... Many of you know that, some of you don't. Uh, when I first accepted that call to ministry, I had a lot of conversations with my grandfather because he was a pastor for years, decades, a uh, long, long time. And so I, I, we had conversations about just all sorts of various ministry-related topics, uh, getting his opinions, taking mental notes, sometimes taking real notes about uh, just different things that he had to say because uh, he was in ministry and frankly he was really good at it. And so I wanted to kind of continue that legacy but also learn from a really great resource that I still have. And so I remember asking him like what's the most important thing as a pastor? What's the most important thing that I do? And, and he could have said a number of things and, and there's obviously all the obvious stuff like you know make sure you preach uh, in line with the Bible. Um, you know, don't like uh, live like a hellion all throughout the week and then come on Sunday and be this devout pastor. Uh, lots of different things. So there's like some real obvious things, you know, keep the Ten Commandments, that type of stuff. Like don't murder anybody. Um, he could have said all those things, but it was outside of the realm of like pop outside of the realm of the obvious. What's, what's something as a pastor that I need to do? And his answer was very quick and it was very succinct. It was powerful. It still sticks with me to today. And it's something that I try to live and abide by. And it was this. If you're going to do something, then do it. It's going to be like right up there in two seconds. If you're going to do something, then do it. That's what we were told. That's what he told me. Your word, your integrity is of utmost importance as a pastor. So don't tell people that you're going to do something and then not do it. No matter how big, no matter how small. Now, again, like I said, I try to abide by this. I'm without perfection. I'm without perfection. I'm human. I err. I make mistakes. But I try with everything in my power to live by that. If I tell you I'm going to do something, then I'm going to follow through and I'm going to do it. And if I don't do it, if I screw up, if I make a mistake, if I somehow forget, um, then I'm going to apologize to you profusely because I'm going to tell you there's not much else in this world that makes me feel worse than lying to you because ultimately that's what it is if i say i'm going to do something and i don't do it i've lied but i've also broken our trust and i hate that and i hate that and so we're going to look at a little bit about today about being people of integrity because what i've learned throughout my young life is that integrity is a free currency that makes you far richer than you could ever imagine Having someone be able to trust you, depend on you, rely on your word is worth more than we could ever possibly think. Being a person who stays true to the word regardless of circumstance or ease is a godly quality. I'm going to say that one more time. Being a person who stays true to their word regardless of circumstance or ease is a godly quality. As Luke 137 puts it, for no word of God will ever fail, because when God says something will be, it will be. 
So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 today, and then we're going to jump to Joshua chapter 6. We're only going to look at two verses in chapter 6. Um, we're looking at the story of Rahab the prostitute and the ancestor of Jesus. She was both of those things. And so in Joshua 2, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit before we get to verse 12. Joshua sends two spies into Canaan. It's all real hush-hush, right? Real secret service type stuff. We're going to uh, send you into this land. We're not going to let anybody know. They didn't tell any of the other Israelites. It's literally between Joshua and these two spies for a couple reasons. One, Joshua wants to protect them. He wants to make sure that no harm comes to him. And two, when spies were sent into the land previously, there were a lot of other opinions that infiltrated what the spies saw when they went into the land. And so it got corrupted. And when Joshua was like, hey, we need to take the land, there were other spies who kind of got their thoughts twisted and people were influencing them and they didn't follow through with it. And they were punished for that. And so Joshua, wanting to avoid that, sends these two in. Like I said, it's all secret. Uh, and then when they get there, they go into Rahab's home. Now, as I already stated, Rahab was a prostitute. So it really honestly would not have been strange to see two strange men go into her home. That's part of the reason why I think they chose her house. Now, the problem is, as they're walking into the home, they're recognized as Israelites. It's reported to the king, and the king wants them. He wants to capture them. My presumption is to kill them because as he says to her, bring the spies out. They're here to spy on our land. It only makes sense that he's going to torture them, get the information, and then off with their heads, so to speak. And so she says, she lies, by the way, which this is one of the times in scripture where it's a good lie. So uh, do with that what you will. But she tells them, sorry, they've already left. They're gone. They, they, they went out the city gate. They wanted to get out of town before we shut the gates. And remember, we talked about early on, the Canaanites all had these big fortified cities with giant walls. They were impossible to infiltrate. And they had these huge gates that were super secure. And if you got shut in, if these gates were shut at night, they did not open until morning. And so if you get stuck in there, then you're stuck. And so she says they didn't want to get stuck, so they left. The problem was they were up on a roof. She hit them under some crops and different things, right? She hid, hid their presence there. And so as she comes up on the roof and it's after everybody, the officials leave, she says to the two men, she says, hey, look, we know the power of your God. Like we in this city and I believe in your God. And I know that this land that we live in is going to be yours. And there is so much trembling in our town. People are terrified of you because they have seen what your God has done in other lands and they are petrified that you're going to do the same to us. And so in verse 12, she goes on to express her faith in God. And she says, sorry, she expresses her faith in God. And then in verse 12, she says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And when Rahab uses this word, show kindness, will you please show kindness? She uses a Hebrew word, hased. That's important. Hased is used 250 times in the Old Testament, and it means loyal, steadfast, or faithful love based on a promise, agreement, or covenant. So when she asks for kindness, this is far more than, please just be nice to me. Or if you find it in your hearts, don't hurt me. 
She is requesting a covenant. She is requesting a promise. And that would have been understood between her and the Israelites. She wanted their word that what they said would be, would be. So that if you tell me that I'm going to be okay and my family's going to be okay, I have this covenant, I have this promise, I have this word that you are going to follow through. And so the spies respond, starting in verse 14, they say, our lives for your lives, our lives for your lives. The men reassured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. So the spy's response to her request is, the covenant has been made. You're requesting this covenant. We agree to this covenant. Okay, based on our steadfast, loyal love for you and for our God, because covenant always has that aspect in it, right? A promise based on our relationship with God. With God. Oh, I almost choked on my own voice there. That happens. Wow. Right? They respond to this covenant. We agree. We agree. But then they also give some conditions. In 17, it says, The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding unless we enter the land. When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. And for those who are in the house with their blood, as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, then we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And so she sent them away and they departed and she tied a scarlet cord in their window, right? So it's, hey, Rahab's saying, I want this covenant. They say, okay, we agree to this covenant. This is our word. This is our promise. But here are the conditions. This is how what we say will happen will actually happen. If you follow these things, then we will be available to pursue our agreement, right? If you don't, if these conditions are not met, then there's no way that we're going to be able to keep our word. That's important, and we're going to get to it. So if we jump ahead to chapter 6, like I said, we're just going to look at two quick ver- or three verses, 22 through 25. It said, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. And so the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and they put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. So what we see here, what's happening right now, is that their word is kept, right? Chapter six is in the midst of the battle of Jericho. And Jake's going to preach on that next week and teach you some stuff about that. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be powerful. So I'm not going to dive in too deep into that. But what we see in the midst of battle is that they keep their word. In a really tough time, in the midst of struggle, people are losing their lives. They are fighting for their lives. The conditions are not fantastic, but they keep their word. They keep 
their covenant. And so here we see the spies who have depended on the discretion of Rahab and Rahab who depended on the spies to spare her life and both needed other, each other to survive. And so let's think about this. We've all heard the saying, all's fair in love and war, right? All's fair in love and war, meaning whatever you've got to do to, to win the war, whatever you've got to do to win in love, it's all fair. It's all fair. And so it would have been understandable even after us understanding the covenant that's been made, it would have been very understandable, I think, for all of us, for us to say, well, the spies were just doing what they had to do in order to save their own lives, right? This is in the midst of war. They, this is an act of war. They are spying on a land that they are going to attack, that they want to take over. It would have been completely understandable for them to say whatever it took in order for them to live. And I don't think that anybody would have blamed them or taken a second look at that decision. But the thing is that there's more at stake here than just their lives. They represented not just themselves, not just the nation of Israel, but the God of Israel. And the thing is about us is that we represent that same God. In our words and in our deeds, we represent that same God. You see, our words hold power. And then in that, they represent who we are, which represents who he is. And we've got to be able to wrap our heads around that. And we've got to be able to firmly understand that when we give our word to somebody, we are giving God's word to that person as well. I know that may seem like a little bit of a stretch, but we have to understand that every single thing we do represents the God that we call our father. Every single thing. And when people look at us and they look at the way we behave and they look at the way we act and they look at whether or not we are trustworthy, they are applying those attributes to our God, whether we like it or not. Like I said, we are imperfect and we are human and we will all make mistakes. And sometimes we do not represent God well, but it should always be our goal to be perfect in that representation. And the question that arises from all this is, are you a good representation of God? that's a question that really only you can answer. Because people from the outside, they'll all have their opinions, but you know you better than anybody. You know if you're dishonest. You know if you don't keep your word. You know if you're a liar better than I ever would. Now, obviously, if you've lied to me or you've broken a promise to me, then I know that that's definitely a possibility with you but that also, in my mind, one instance will not define your character for me. But if you do that with everybody, that becomes who you are. And that becomes solidified as the way that you act. And so we're obviously never going to set a, a perfect example of who God is. But it also doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for that type of perfection. Recognizing that we represent God in what it is that we do. And so what we want for people is to meet the God whose word never fails. But the fact of the matter is they're never going to get close if our word's always failing them. If we want people to trust us when it comes to the big things, then they need to be able to trust us with little things. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if we want people to believe that all of us are sinners and that the wages of sin is death, 
And that the only way to be forgiven of those sins is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and accept the grace that he has shown us through his death on a cross. If we want people to be able to truly believe that, they're going to have to be able to trust us in all the little things from day to day. You know, Paul said that he would be here Tuesday to help me move, and he showed up. Right? Or Paul said he would call, and he did. I asked him to get my mail while I was on vacation, and he did it for me. Right? I asked all these things. He said he would do them, and they were done. That builds a foundation of trust. So now when I go and I can approach this person and I can say, I want you to understand that this comes from a place of love. But frankly, you need Jesus because we all need Jesus. See, every time we act or live in a way that is outside of the realm of what Jesus teaches, we sin. And when we sin, that separates us from God. And there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And the only way, the only way that we can come back into relationship with God and we can be forgiven of those sins is through Jesus because he tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And I can never, ever expect anybody to believe me when I say that if time and time and time again I'm lying to their face. If time and time and time again, I say I'm going to do something and then I don't do it. So we have to understand once again that our integrity is the currency that paves for people's way to the cross. And that's important. It is of utmost importance. And finally, one of the things that we learn from the spies here is that we have to be specific in our words. See, too many of us say yes to things because it's the easy thing to do. I don't want to say no. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. I want to make things uncomfortable. So when they ask me, I'm going to say yes, even though I have zero intention of ever doing it. Even though I know it's not going to happen. I'm just going to say yes because right now, that's easier for me, right? But then the spies in their relationship with Rahab, they tell her yes, and it would have been easy for them to just say yes and move on, right? We got out of there with our lives. Thank goodness, we're out. Deuces. Sorry, Rahab, wall's gonna crumble on you too, right? That's the approach that they could have taken, but it wasn't. But they were also very specific about what it needed to take place in order for them to help. And what we learn from that is that we need to be able to be that specific as well. So if you say yes to something, but there are conditions around it, right? Like, yeah, I can help, but I may be out of town. And if I'm out of town, I can't. That's an important thing to say. If you just say, yeah, I can help, but you know you might be out of town and then you end up out of town, you don't help. Now you've broken your trust. Now you've damaged your integrity. Now you're a person who, even though it may not seem like that big of a deal, has become a liar. And others look at you as they're not going to follow through. What they say isn't true. I would trust them as far as I could throw them, right? And with me, that's not very far. 
And so we have to, to make sure that we're specific. And I think that this is really important, specific in our agreements. Again, if there are conditions around your ability to follow through with your word, then those need to be made up front. Right? Chelsea's looking for volunteers with VBS. Don't go tell her, yes, I can volunteer if there's 10 things that may get in the way of that. You need to say, hey, I would like to be able to volunteer, but here's what's on my plate. And if these things happen, it's just not going to be able to work for me. So that she knows and she's prepared so that she can have the staff that she needs and so that VBS can be the success that it's going to be because Chelsea's a rock star and she does awesome stuff. But it's important that we're up front and we're honest in all things that we do. And so here are the spies. They let her know that the promise would only hold if she kept this red cord in her window and if she kept her word and, and, and didn't say anything about it. And so, hey, we accept the conditions of this covenant request, but here are our conditions as well. The fact of the matter is that silent stipulations only lead to anger and mistrust. Silent stipulations only lead to anger and mistrust. But God's people should be forthright and sturdy and true and unfailing because that's who God is. And that's who we represent. And the fact of the matter is that our words, your word, oftentimes is a foundational piece in someone's salvation. And we can't risk them not coming to know the Father because it was inconvenient or it wasn't easy or we didn't want to cause conflict. It's just not okay. So the fact of the matter is you have one challenge from this passage. One thing that I think if we hold to will help us follow through in this endeavor and that's to show them the true God. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to dive into your word, to learn from what it is that you would teach us. God, I pray that the importance and the power that is found in this message reaches all of us, God, that we understand that it is vital that as Christians, we are people who keep our word, that we can be relied upon, that we can be trustworthy, that, that people look at us and, and, and know that we are people of integrity who will say they said they would help and so I know it's going to happen because God your word never fails no word of God ever fails and we want to represent you well and we want to represent that truth in the way that we live our lives so that Others will come to know you and be in a relationship with you so that they can experience the God that we get to experience. God, take away everything that we do that puts up a roadblock between non-believers and you and your son and your spirit. Because at the end of the day, the whole purpose of our life is to choose second in order that we might build the kingdom of Christ and share your love with a world that is lost in their own sin.
May it be the truth or nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, like I said before, we're going to have a baptism here after we sing a few more worship songs. I am going to be up here uh, ready to pray with you if you have anything that you need to pray about. If you would like to use our stage as an altar, then we encourage you to do that as well. This time is between you and God. It's for you to reflect upon the word that we just heard. It's for you to ask God to give you guidance and to show you in areas uh, that you may need to improve. And the way that we communicate with him is through prayer. And so if there's something you need to pray with me about, please come do so. If there's something that you just want to talk to God about, then understand that just like baptism, walking up here in front of everyone and praying is a profession of faith. It's a statement that says that I know that when I speak to God, God will move and that his word won't fail me. If you're one of those being baptized today and you need to change, now would be a great time to do it. If you'd like to stay and worship, then by all means, we will wait for you and you can change after. But just so that things are seamless, uh, we ask you to do that now. Otherwise, guys, stand, let's worship, and let's just spend some time in prayer.